Welcome to Humans in Public Health. I'm Megan Hall. In the past few years, the field of public health has become more visible than ever before, but it's always played a crucial role in our daily lives. Each month, we talk to a person who makes this work possible. Today, Professor Eric Lauchs. Mindfulness is pretty trendy these days. You've probably seen the ads for celebrity-guided meditations or apps promising to relieve your stress. In 2022, one in six Americans meditated at least once. Eric Lauch says there's a good reason why so many people have turned to these practices. As the director of Brown University's Mindfulness Center, he's researching whether meditation and other mindful exercises can improve cardiovascular health. And so far, the evidence is promising. He published a new study this month showing that a mindfulness program helped participants stick to a heart-healthy diet. Well, Eric Laux, uh, such a pleasure to have you in the studio today. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to be here. So in this moment where mindfulness is so popular, what is it? Is it a fad? Is it some sort of spiritual practice? Is it a medical intervention? Or is it all of those things? I would say all and more. For a while, I was worried it was a fad, but it's, it's hanging on there. And uh, I think the scientific studies are helping it hold up in Western societies that really look to the scientific method to really test it and see if it's replicated with high-quality methods. It can be a spiritual practice, but it can also just be a tool that can be adapted to someone without a spiritual practice to just help them become more aware and to help see the truth. So how do you define mindfulness? How do you explain it to people when you're talking about what you do at the center? Yeah, one of the most common definitions is that mindfulness is the awareness that comes from paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And so it sort of has two components there. One is like present moment awareness, like our thoughts, our emotions, our physical sensations. But it's not just awareness of them, it's the quality of the awareness so that it's non-judgmental. There's curiosity there, gentleness, friendliness. And then another piece of mindfulness definitions often has an element of remembering to it, or in other words, remembering to bring our wisdom into this present moment. So wherever we get our wisdom from, whether it's from some religious tradition or a friend or a book that we read or wisdom from our own personal experience, it doesn't really matter that we have it unless we bring it right here, right now. I understand you've been practicing mindfulness since you were 23. What brought you to the practice? Yeah, I, my mom's second cousin married a Tibetan who became the foreign affairs minister of the Dalai Lama's government in exile. Whoa. And he was a really interesting guy who just had a way about him that drew my curiosity. He was very grounded and playful and happy. And so he'd drawn my curiosity. I didn't think that much about it until he went off to go work with the Dalai Lama. I was like, who is this guy? And uh, who is the Dalai Lama? And so I started to read books by him. And then in my early 20s, I was just looking around at people who I really respected, like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. or Mahatma Gandhi or um, Dalai Lama. Um, and most of them had a strong spiritual practice. And I was like, there's got to be, there's probably something to that uh, just to help live a happy, healthy life. And so I was kind of, you know, not thinking about it that too much. I was in college. So I started to explore different wisdom traditions and uh, Buddhism resonated with me. So I started practicing in a Buddhist tradition uh, led by Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, who's a Zen master. Eric continued his mindfulness practice. And at the same time, he started an academic career researching how social factors like trauma and loneliness can affect cardiovascular health. But he kept those two interests separate. 
So you were practicing mindfulness in a silo, and then on the other side, you were studying cardiovascular health. Yeah, this was like uh, 13 years ago. So the mindfulness research was kind of just emerging at that point. And I had silos. Like I was like, that's my personal life. But that all changed in 2010. I had a big study funded by the NIH uh, in the New England Family Studies, a cohort of people that have been followed since they were in their mom's wombs. At that point, they are in their mid-40s. And I decided to put in a mindfulness questionnaire because I was the principal investigator and I could. You're like, I'm going to break down that silo right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, just check it out. It's like high risk, high reward. Uh, it was the mindful attention awareness scale. So it was a validated questionnaire uh, that measures people's uh, mindfulness levels. And we ended up finding that it predicted fat distribution in the body, body mass index, smoking, physical activity, overall cardiovascular health. So I was like, wow, there seems to be a signal. <laughs> Eric wondered... What if mindfulness training had a specific goal in mind, like improving cardiovascular health? So he got certified to teach a popular mindfulness program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And so then started to adapt it uh, so that, yes, can we train ourselves up in uh, mindfulness skills like self-awareness and attention control and emotion regulation? But can we actually direct it towards the things that impact cardiovascular disease, in our case, hypertension? Eric's latest research, a study released in JAMA Network Open, looked into the effectiveness of a program he ran through the center, an eight-week course aimed at reducing participants' blood pressure. We needed to identify one health behavior as our primary outcome that we felt we could move. And so we named adherence to the DASH diet as our primary outcome. DASH diet stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. It's the most evidence-based diet to bring blood pressure down. It's kind of like a Mediterranean diet, but lower salt and a bit more Americanized. Um, so we named that as the primary outcome, although we were also giving them you know, information on physical activity and alcohol consumption and all that other stuff. The study found that six months after the program, participants were not only more likely to be sticking to that healthy diet than a control group, but they also had more overall self-awareness. Eric says being self-aware can affect someone's eating habits too. You can imagine, say, someone who has something sweet to eat you know, that they might get a sugar high and then a sugar crash and then maybe craving for the next sweet item. And so the self-awareness will help us notice if we're having that sugar high, which maybe is kind of fun, also help us notice if we're having the sugar crash, which is less fun. Eric helps participants develop these abilities with exercises that work directly with foods. You know, we bring in into class foods that are sweet and savory, and we have them under a clean towel, and then we, like, unveil them, <laughs> inviting people to notice their thoughts and emotions, physical sensations as they see these items that they're about to be invited to eat. And we invite them to ch choose something that's going to be kind of challenging. And so some people are like, yeah, it's free food. Awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> and then other people are like, yeah, I know I'm going to eat that whole brownie. I know I'm going to regret it. And I know I'm going to do it anyway. And so you just get to hear the diversity of people's emotions, thoughts as they, you know, explore these different things and, and then share it as they're eating. And then even afterwards, like 20 minutes afterwards, we check in with them and just invite people to share what's being experienced. So how do you get people to make healthy choices, like eat less of those potato chips, if you're supposed to be non-judgmental, if you're supposed to be like, I'm eating this potato chip and it's delicious? Yeah. Judgment is like, this is bad right? or this is wrong. And so say with the potato chip, you know, can we be there with the potato chip and just notice how we feel? And for some of us, it's going to be fine. You know, we ate a big salad for lunch. And for others of us, 
you know, there's certain ingredients in potato chips that actually activate craving. And so if that's the case, so that we then crave more food or drinks or more potato chips or whatever, then the discernment can come in. And sort of discernment can be a little different than judgment. So it's like, this is harming me. I'm less happy or less healthy because of this. I think some people will be surprised that you do exercises like that because usually when you think of mindfulness, you think, I got to meditate for 45 minutes. And so we're just meditating, meditating. So what's the full scope of what you're doing with these participants? Yeah, I mean, we're doing that stuff too. <laughs> so, you know, they're getting pretty solid foundational training, like in mindfulness meditation in this program, it was actually recommended 45 minutes a day. And, you know, sometimes they're doing body scans, so being aware of each and every part of the body. And then what we do is we then take that solid training and like self-awareness and attention control and emotion regulation, and then direct it towards the relationships with the things that drive blood pressure, the relationship with their diet or with their physical activity, their alcohol consumption or their medication use. And, and in doing so, we're hoping that we're boosting effects compared to just taking general mindfulness training. And so that's the idea behind it is if you have all that mindfulness training, but then direct it to the things that we know influence blood pressure, can it make the effects even larger? So being specific about where you're pointing that mindfulness makes a difference. Yeah, like I was involved as a mindfulness teacher for um, a study on asthma. And participants were just getting generalized mindfulness training. It was actually mindfulness-based stress reduction. And it may be that stress can trigger asthma, but all these other things can also trigger asthma, like exposure to dust and you know all this, all this stuff. And so we had some participants in the class just wondering why they were there. They're like, I have asthma. I get stressed, but I don't think my asthma is caused by stress. I think it's caused by the environment that I live in. <laughs> and a lot of them would drop out. So with our program, everybody there has high blood pressure. And immediately in the first day, we're talking about hypertension, the drivers of it, and the whole theoretical framework of how mindfulness could help bring blood pressure down. And then they go through specific modules where they're setting goals and really understanding how self-awareness of their relationship with you know, the things that drive blood pressure, whether it's alcohol or physical activity or medication adherence, can improve their blood pressure so people have no doubt why they're there. <laughs> And it was neat to see people's experiences. What do you say to critics that say no amount of meditation or mindfulness training will change that you have to work three jobs to pay your bills or that you have a, a spouse and you're their caretaker and your life is just full of stress or you don't have access to healthy foods? Yeah. It's like if you're living in a high crime area or can't afford housing or healthy foods or working so many jobs, what do you do? And um, we provided a mindfulness training program at a community college, uh, like a college of opportunity with a lot of first generation students. There, A lot of people working multiple jobs with kids while getting a college degree. And what we found there was a lot of people took the training and just brought it into day to day life, like walking to work, brushing their teeth. One person said, like, putting on their leggings, you know, in the morning, <laughs> whatever it is, just can we bring mindfulness training to like that of what we're already doing? What does it mean that you now have research that shows that mindfulness has a direct impact, in this case, on improving people's diets? Like, what does that do for your center or for your goals at the center? Yeah, I think part of my major research agenda is to bring mindfulness into cardiovascular health. And so... In many ways, a lot of the research is on the mental health aspects of mindfulness, but the behavioral health aspects are potentially profound. So this is pretty solid study, a little over 200 participants, randomized controlled trial, blinded everybody that we could, including the data analyst and the people doing the assessments and 
you know, pre-registered our primary outcomes. So to have the paper come out and jam a network open, that's a really solid journal. That's complemented by another large paper that came out in the Journal of the American Heart Association just uh, six months ago showing the blood pressure outcomes. It's like, it's nice. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of work that is nice when it turns out the way it's currently turning out. Could go either way. You know, I try to just publish what we find. And, you know, just like with mindfulness, we're trying to find the truth. So I don't want to waste anybody's time if mindfulness isn't impacting diet or blood pressure, self-awareness. But if it is, then there's beauty in that, too. Great. Well, Eric Lauks, thanks for coming in today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Eric Lauks is an associate professor of epidemiology, medicine, and behavioral and social sciences at the Brown University School of Public Health. He also serves as director of the Mindfulness Center at Brown University. To learn more about his work or participate in a mindfulness program at the center, go to brown.edu slash public health slash mindfulness. Humans in Public Health is a monthly podcast brought to you by Brown University School of Public Health. This episode was produced by Nat Hardy and recorded at the podcast studio at CIC Providence. I'm Megan Hall. Talk to you next month.